1: The premier podcast for all things Penn State football.
0: Talk about culture. It's something that should show up in every aspect
1: of your program. It's the Blue White Breakdown. Brought to you by Penn Live. Here are your hosts, Bob Flounders and David Jones.
0: And man, since we last talked, there's a lot that happened with Penn State with the Big 10 crazy bowl season. We're going to get to all of it. I know you're going out to the national championship game, TCU, Georgia, out in Los Angeles. Safe travels, my friend. But Penn State, let's start with that. They get their 11th win. They take over in the second half against Utah, win 35-21. It's unfortunate that quarterback for Utah got hurt. But let's talk about the other quarterback, Sean Clifford. I don't know that I've seen him play a better game, and uh, kudos to
1: him. Yeah, did you expect that? I'm curious what you were thinking around, you know, halftime. It's 14-14 at halftime, even into the third quarter, when Ryzen got the ball back and he scrambles and he gets the first down before he couldn't get up. Yeah. What were you thinking, even at 21-14?
0: Yeah, I I really thought before he got hurt, it was probably going to be the team that has the ball last.
1: Right, right. The way
0: that both quarterbacks were playing was probably going to win the game. And I – so Sean played so well. Dave, I was almost wondering like this. Instead of him getting uh, nervous about the game, it was his last game. You know, he made it to the finish line. You know, a lot of ups and downs. But it, I think it was almost a relief, and he just let it fly. And, man, he he made some plays. He made some throws. He got that team in and out of stuff. Pretty much played a clean game, and it was uh, – you know, he was he was really good – Um, And they needed him to be really good against that team.
1: Yeah, and I think that thing would have gone to the end if Rising doesn't go out, and it's really a shame. I think maybe Penn State wins anyway, and I just would have loved to have seen that. But Cam Rising means so much to Utah. You can't discount it. I mean, you can't just discard that and say, well, Penn State housed him." They do not do that unless Cam Rising leaves the game. And yet, Sean Clifford played w- – wouldn't you say it was the best game he played his entire career, like clearly? Yes. I mean,
0: I mean, in terms of – if you just look at numbers, he had a couple games that were close, but the moment, the stage, the opponent, the last game, what he was able to do on third down, uh, uh, he making plays with his feet to prolong plays, you know, a little bit shorthanded, no Parker Washington. And, man, I could foresee him playing well, but that was clearly – you saw Sean Clifford's A-plus game. And uh, good for him because he did he did have some ups and downs. And he's I, yeah, I remember, Dave, I just remember the Cotton Bowl that Penn State won over Memphis. And it was just his it was really just the running game. And he got out of the way. Well, there was really none of that. He had to make some huge throws. And he did. And it was really good for him and a great way for Penn State to kind of have some confidence going into 2023.
1: There were a, kind of, a couple of throws that he made in between defenders that were really hard. And he knew they were going to be hard, and he threaded the needle. I mean, there—I remember a slant down near the goal line. I guess it was to Tinsley, and and then a, a couple of others. Uh, one to Theo Johnson.
0: The third to Theo Johnson really stands out to me because he he had, he had a tight window and he hit him in stride, and that was a gigantic play.
1: Oh, and i mean, he was he was Nolan Ryan out there, so he picked a great time actually to have his best game. If if. Some some nitpickers will say, well, why couldn't he have done that against Ohio State or Michigan? I don't know that this team was ready to beat either of those teams and they got better and better and better. And I think the sometimes you listen to the opposing coach, and especially somebody like Kyle Whittingham at the end of a season. They kind of let their guard down a little bit. They'll tell you the truth. And I think Kyle Whittingham made some a couple of really interesting points afterward. The first thing out of his mouth was complete football team. And that's what I was thinking, man. There is really – we had questions about certain units on this team before the season started, and they just kind of vanished. The offensive line got pretty damn good. Drew Shelton had a very good game. I thought he had one penalty that was kind of questionable. Otherwise, made a great block on the long run. Uh, The tight ends were terrific. We, We expected them to be pretty good. Uh, there, there, the, the linebackers improved. That was the other big question. And even in this game, you could say the opt-outs probably, they're not really opt-outs, but two were injuries, but the key players and arguably, other than the quarterbacks, the other four best players on both teams, Parker Washington and Joey Porter for Penn State, uh, Dalton Kincaid and Clark Phillips, they're all American corner for Utah. All out of the game, Kincaid, really important guy, tight end, and favorite uh, target of Kane Rising. But so was Parker Washington, who made terrific catches all year. So that's kind of a wash. And I think in their absence, Penn State's depth won this game. Uh, yeah. And I think it means a lot for Penn State gaining on the top of the Big Ten. Jim Harbaugh all of a sudden getting buzz for the NFL again. You've been hearing this? yeah. Yeah. Yep. I mean, uh-huh. and you can't discount that either. Those moves will be made later on, not too much later, but we could see what happens with that. Uh, Ryan, fire Ryan Day. Hashtags are all of a sudden, if you can believe that, are popping up because of the the spoiled, <laughs> inconsolable Buckeye fans. I mean, they. I think they want Urban Meyer back, which is insane. But I mean. They're catching the rest of the East Division, a little bit of disarray. I thought Penn State's depth across the board won this game, and that shows the depth of recruiting that is beginning to show up that I think began to take hold this year in particular. Your your thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, I think the biggest change in Penn State this year from the start of the season to the end of the season was it was the depth, Dave, but especially the, their improvement on both lines, offensive and defensive, whether it was adding Chop Robinson via the transfer portal. But, you know, they also had some young players really, really come of age. Uh, Drew Shelton, you know, the breakup by Olu Fushano, they didn't have him. Uh, and what what Shelton was able to do, you know, Juice Scruggs moving from, from – uh, from guard to center, um, they went through a bunch of guards. Salim Worley. They didn't have Landon Tangwell, and they still had you know, they, you know Hunter Norzad played well. He's coming back. They had a really good recruiting class. They're going to miss some players, Dave. But I, I the the offensive line depth and what they have going on on the defensive side of the ball. That's, I thought, what was kind of lacking, and that was kind of really kind of costly when they played some big games. You look at the Michigan game early. They just weren't ready for whatever reason. They just weren't ready. It really didn't really matter what Sean Clifford would have done in that game. Yeah, I, I
1: didn't think those game either of those games were really on Clifford. Yeah, he missed some throws, but they're not beating Michigan regardless.
0: But they're ready. They are ready now at the line of scrimmage. I think to compete, and that yeah, it's great to have. It's great to have the runners. It's great to have Keandre Lambert Smith back, who had a true breakout, I thought, in that game. Those tight ends, you know, coming back. Hopefully, they're going to miss Bretton Strange. We're still waiting on Theo Johnson as we talk about this. But they they have the sk- They've always kind of had the skill players. They have the defensive backs. Uh, they got that young linebacker Abdul Carter. You know, they have Kobe King. They're waiting on Curtis Jacobs as we talk about this, but man, they are deep on the offensive line and they feel really good about their defensive line. Dave, this is really this is we haven't even mentioned we haven't even mentioned Drew Haller in 2023. I just think this this is a team that is legit top ten to start the season, regardless
1: of what Ohio State and Michigan do. You know what else we haven't mentioned is is how good this secondary is and how deep it is. Here they are missing the cornerstone of their secondary, as Utah was, but a huge win for Penn State's secondary over Utah's secondary. That was another thing that Kyle Whittingham talked about, how how deficient their passing game was against Penn State, and I thought there was a reason, man. I mean, Penn State didn't even get any pass rush to speak of in the first half, and those guys were very effective. Yeah, they gave up some plays, but but nothing huge. And uh Kalen King, Zaki Wheatley, a lot of guys played. Even Johnny Dixon, the who they were pick on on a lot, played pretty damn well. Th- th- they just keep coming up with guys in the secondary. And these days, that's huge. Of course, Tig Brown pl- played wonderfully, uh, but but they keep replacing these guys, and it looks like they can keep doing it.
0: Yeah, I mean, they've always they've always, I thought, developed corners and safeties at Penn State. Uh, they have another guy they like, Jalen Reed. He went out of the game, I think, and very early in the first quarter, he had his right arm in a sling. They didn't get to play him a lot, but you're right at corner. You know, uh, Joey's gone. Kalen King is a force. We don't know about Johnny Dixon yet. He could come back, um, but they also like Cam Miller, a young corner, and uh, they recruited very well in this cycle. They won't hesitate to play some of the young guys they have coming in. I don't think you. Ha- I don't. If you're a Penn State fan, I don't think you should ever. Worry about the secondary with the way they recruit, coach, develop them. It's It was the surrounding components. And, man, you know, the breakout by Abdul Carter. Uh, we haven't really talked about uh, another young player that I think next year with an offseason in the weight training program uh, denied Dennis Sutton, number 33. He, he just wasn't quite there yet, but you saw flashes. It's going to be a very good defensive line, and I'm really excited to see the fruits of James Franklin's labor over the last couple of years uh, because this is going to be a good team. I, I think they, they are built, Dave, to, to really sustain injuries. They they really are. I mean, there's always a couple of indif- indispensable players, but man, their depth this year was really, I think, maybe the biggest storyline, that and the player, the true freshman.
1: Yeah, and I think they became more physical as the year went on. We had questions about them in physical games naturally after the Michigan game. And I saw Utah as kind of a lowercase version of Michigan and wondered if they had been be physical enough. Well, you know what? We've had complaints about their linebackers and especially their secondary coming in and run support and really cracking pads. Well, you know, when you run your quarterback a little bit, and it's not like Cam Rising does that a lot, but when he does it, He's very effective at it. He kind of glumps around, and you don't know, understand how he weasels through holes, but he does it. And he took off on that third and seven. It was a vital first down. He got it. He got nine yards, but he piles into a, a triplet of Penn State secondary guys just converging on him, and right in the middle of them was Zaki Wheatley who really cracked him, really cracked him. And the injury was to his leg, but still, he took a real hit there. That's the kind of stuff you have to do. Football is still football. It's not seven on seven. They've answered that question, too. So I I didn't really expect that, and I think we got it. Like I said, if Rising doesn't go out, I agree with you. I think it's right down to the end, and the guy is so resourceful. It really deflated them when he went out, and Whittingham mentioned that, too. He was disappointed in that. But still... Penn State was playing in a physical way, especially in the second half with the pass rush to the extent that you could very easily see them surviving and and thriving in the fourth quarter and winning that game regardless of rising leaving.
0: The Penn State defenders, you know, I talked to a bunch of them. They, they were very impressed with that Utah quarterback. Very, very impressed. And, you know, Kalen King said, you know what? Not only, not only did he hurt us, the guy was fearless. He doesn't slide. Um, <laughs> you know, and Curtis Jacobs said, you know, that guy was outstanding. That's one of the reasons why you didn't see more pressure get home in that first half, because Penn State's defenders just could did had they had no answer for him. He was just one step ahead of them, whether it was breaking contain or beating a blitz or extending a play. And they pretty much all but said they were in trouble. And, and the minute he went out, you saw the pressure start to get home against that backup, and it really was – it was unfortunate. And I just wanted to t- just circle back. So I talked to Terry Smith. I talked – I heard from Manny Diaz. I talked to Jair Brown all about the Michigan game. What's the difference now compared to them with them and their run defense? Because James Franklin made the comment that, you know, everyone thinks they're Aaron Donald, which was – you know, he was hinting at the fact they weren't big enough up front. And that still may be a little bit true, but a the, the lot of the coaches and players didn't really see it James's way. Uh, Terry Smith said, you know what? In that game, we were undefeated. We were feeling good about ourselves. And uh, we had a lot of independent contractors on defense in that
1: game. Ah, Is that the, the phrase he used? That's a great one. Yeah. What he
0: meant was no one played sound football. No one stayed home. They didn't run fit at all. They, they freelanced. Jair Brown said pretty much the same thing. Many Diaz said that too. It wasn't really as big of a physical issue as James Franklin made it out to be. It was more of a mental issue, and he said it was a wake-up call. And then, if you notice, after that, even in the Ohio State game, uh, they were much, 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 much more difficult to play on defense. Even in you know the Ohio State game, Ohio State got 44 points. They had a great thrower they had a great pass catcher they couldn't run the ball they gave up some points you know on turnovers it was much more of a competitive game and they felt like you know they did a really nice job against Minnesota's run game they 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 just felt like it was an, it was really not indicative of what they were capable of so maybe what James Franklin said really wasn't true about Michigan it was much more of them just being they, they basically just played one of the dumber games they've ever
1: played mentally. <laughs> well, you know, you know what? It's not easy to be gap attentive. You have to make a commitment. This game is not easy. And it's, it's easy for uh, dopes like us to sit up here and say, well, they're not tough enough at scrimmage, they're not, which I've done myself. But it is hard to be gap attentive because you're not looking for glory. You're just standing in your lane. It's like pack line defense in basketball you You have to play as a team, and it it's it's a physical it's a physical issue to play gap attentive uh so and you have to do it against Michigan. You, you certainly have to do it against uh any any scheme that plays a, an offensive line that plays as together as Michigan does. I don't know that we'll ever see a better offensive line than that the rest uh, the rest of our tenure in the big ten. That's about as good as it gets. I don't think Ohio states was that good uh but anyway, I think they're in position to do some really good things here. They're still got to get over the hump in those games, and next year it's going to be uh, Michigan here and and at Columbus. And you know the problems they've had. I mean, they got at least split with those to get over the hump. They probably still have to beat Ohio State in Columbus. You know, so we'll we will see. It's it's easy to feel good at, on January third. Anyway, that's I suppose that's enough of that.
0: This is the Blue White Breakdown. Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Everyone's journey is different, and we are honored to guide you to the best relationship with this incredible plant. Have questions? Google Cureleaf PA or stop by one of our 18 locations across the Commonwealth. All right, Dave. Uh, real quick, just your thoughts. Uh, you, I didn't get to see. I, I missed. I couldn't get to the fir- first half of the Michigan TCU game. I caught the second half. Those two semifinals, though, man. Wow, that is some high level offensive play. It was exciting to watch both those games. My initial thought was, man, kudos to Ohio State for really taking it to Georgia, even when Harrison went out of the game. They absolutely were right there with them, and you could you could argue they were probably the better team. I don't know. The Michigan game, as much as I love TCU, Michigan just made way too many mistakes in that game to to really beat a quality side. I thought that was my take.
1: Well, if you missed the first half of Michigan TCU, you missed a lot. So. <laughs> Isn't that what you missed? Is that what you said? Yeah, I did miss a lot, but I did I did see that the – I know the Michigan
0: quarterback would probably like to have a couple plays back.
1: Oh, my God. Well, Sharon Moore, too. I mean, Sharon Moore has had a great season. The offensive coordinator at Michigan did not have a very good game in, in this game. But they got absolutely screwed on an outrageous Big Ten level overtime. <laughs> okay. Did you see it or not? Did you see it? Not. Well, Roman Wilson – had a touchdown, and it was clearly a touchdown. They called it a touchdown and a long ball that he was juggling as he went over the goal line, clearly juggling. And I actually got into it with Donnie Collins, who we're friends, you know, from the Scranton Times. But he posted a picture of Roman Wilson sitting down in the end zone and holding the ball. Well, it was one frame. It was like a 24th of a second, and that's as long as he had the ball in his hands. But this is what we're dealing with with replay officials. Not only that, in the college football playoff, they have a Bruce review process based in Pittsburgh, who must have overruled this. And it was an outrage because he never, clearly never had possession. And you can't judge possession frame by frame. You can judge it in slow motion, but you can't judge it frame by frame and say, oh, he got, he's got the ball. If we're playing by the rules that we have agreed upon, I mean, in, in the days of... Uh, Butch Johnson, yeah, it might have been. (laughs) Yeah, hey, yeah, Super Bowl XII. I I didn't think he had it. Yeah, I mean, uh, those those kinds of things were allowed back then. And Don Maynard in the uh, 68 championship game against the Raiders, those things were allowed back then. They are not allowed now. You have to have possession and control. And if you don't, then the play goes on. And it was clearly not until he was in the end zone that he had uh, control of the ball. And yet somehow they overturned it. Then, then, Sharon Moore and Jim Harbaugh, I don't know which. I don't have any inside information on this. But they brought in a linebacker to take the handoff. And, and instead of just, I mean, they're, they're a half yard away. Sneak the ball with McCarthy and push him in. You're first in goal. If it doesn't work the first time, it'll work the second or third time. Don't, don't do this. So, so they hand off. To a linebacker, he 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 can't get the handoff. He doesn't take handoffs. They fumble the ball. So they piss that away. Then McCarthy throws two pick sixes. They actually pissed away 10 points on offense and 14 on defense. So I'm, I'm with you. I mean, they if they simply don't do those things, they probably win going away. And yet, Max Dugan and TCU, uh, you talk about Cam Rising. This guy is about as resourceful a quarterback as you can ever imagine. And he won that game just like he he won previous games this season. That that that, I saw a really funny, I think it was Andy Staples. It was either Wetzel or Andy Staples who said who tweeted out all season people have lost to TCU and kept asking themselves, how did we lose to those guys? And but it keeps happening. It keeps happening. And They turn opportunity, they cash it in and they did it again. So, kudos to them. Further, I'm not convinced that this is a prototypical SEC champion in Georgia. If Ohio State could play with them physically and they did, I don't see this as anyone that TCU can't beat. I would give TCU a 30 or 40% chance to win this game simply because they're on a roll. And because if Ohio State can get them in a track meet, TCU lives on track meets. You saw how comfortable TCU was in that atmosphere. Uh, Sonny Dykes loves back and forth, back and forth. They get that game into, and, and, and initially they were a little struck, I think, by Michigan's physicality, but they hung in there, hung in there, and that's what they do to you. And they've got big play athletes on offense, they've got some big play athletes on defense, and they're not to be, uh, scorned or, or scoffed at as far as athletes. They have some. Uh, the only question is, are they physical enough to play with Georgia? Well, Ohio State was. And we don't think of Ohio State as a really physical team, do we? Uh, I, I, you, you could say that Ohio State has more dangerous receivers, but after Marvin Harrison went out of the game, that was a huge, huge uh, problem for Ohio State. They didn't really have anyone to take over that.
0: Dave, I have I have one comment that I just been thinking about and one question for you, because I the question I just it's really frustrating to me. I don't know how you feel that my comment is, if you look at how those semifinals played out, it took a lot of things to happen for it not to be an Ohio State-Michigan final. Like that, that really, really could have happened if if both teams had done things, just if things had turned out a little bit different, that would have been incredible to me. That was my, that's my comment. My question is, I have no clue, none, how how they determine what targeting is and what it isn't, because I don't know, I don't know what the, I don't know what they're thinking. There are clear plays where it looks like it's targeting, and they just completely wave it off, and it goes to, it's reversed the other time. I think they need to get a better grip on that call.
1: I don't know how you do because it's a judgment call.
0: But I mean, they, they have to make it more, a more definitive because it just looks like guys are getting
1: speared. There was targeting at the end of that game. Yeah, That was targeting. Was it not?
0: Yeah. Well, I think there was targeting in the Ohio State Clemson game too. I think Harrison might have went out on a
1: targeting call. I don't. I don't know. But I, I just wish they they got to clean that up. Well, they're not going to clean it up. They can't because it's always going to come down to some. I want to use a profanity here in, in, the re, in the replay box. And we saw who these guys are. I had just gotten done extolling the virtues of SEC officials to Nick. But I don't actually know if SEC officials screwed that up or it was a college football playoff guy in Pittsburgh who messed that up. I don't know. But I don't think they wanted to take the, the game away at the end and give one more opportunity. Uh, or as James Franco would say, opportunity. Thankful for the opportunity. I I don't know, but that's the wrong way reason to do it. If it's targeting, by definition, it it, it is. They didn't call him a defenseless player. I don't I don't I don't understand. I, I don't understand any more than you do. But but they want to fire Ryan Day in Columbus because they they say he played too conservative on the first down when they got to I guess it was about the thirty two, and he handed off. Uh, I just think he thought he could get six or seven quick yards because, I mean, their passing game was chewing up Georgia. They were they were ripping down the field, and I think Ryan Day thought he could catch them off guard. Um, and, and, and Stroud was just picking them apart, and people were going, well, if they're just picking them apart, throw one more pass, and you're at the 20, and you've got a much more manageable field goal for poor Noah Ruggles, who – had not kicked a fifty-plus field goal all year, in, in, I, I believe in his career. So you're asking, and he'd already had a forty-eight yarder that just barely got over. You're asking him to do something he doesn't normally do, and that's what the problem is with Ryan Day. But it's easy to say afterward, I might have called that running play. They they called a blast, I think, off left tackle, and it went nowhere. It lost a yard. Then you're in second and eleven. And then you got trouble. You have no timeouts uh what do you do? Do you do you trust Fleming or, or one of the other receivers to get out of bounds? You you can't take a sack. You can't there's there's all these different things you're thinking about as a coach. It's a lot easier to do it afterward in, in retrospect than doing it in real time. So I don't really blame Ryan Day for that. I think it I think the game turned out about like it should have. Uh I even give Ohio State credit for making it more of a game than I thought it would be. So I think they pro- they proved some things in that game, frankly. And so does C.J. Stroud. He looked terrific.
0: You and I have talked about this. I'm talking about Ohio State. We actually had Doug Lamarise on this year, and we specifically talked about it. I'm always going to wonder how dangerous this Ohio State offense would have been the last two years if C.J. Stroud used his legs like he did in this game because this was the first I saw it, Dave, really. I mean – There were plays when they played Penn State where he wouldn't do it. There were plays against Michigan where he really didn't do it. But, man, whenever he wanted to run the ball, he could have, I think, in any big game. I'm glad he finally did it, but I'm always going to wonder how much better they could have been if if they did. I don't
1: know, know, man. You're always a big proponent of that. But you saw it happen. I know, but you're putting your quarterback at risk. And C.J. Stroud is not a built guy like, say, Cam Rising. And Cam Rising lowered his head to get the third and seven. Got nine and it was out of the game. That could happen to C.J. Stroud v- much more easily. He's not used to running. Every time you do it, you're you're playing roulette. That's all. Uh, I think he's more comfortable doing the other. He's more like Dwayne Haskins. I mean, you can you can try to recruit a quarterback who's more built to do that, uh, more like Jalen Hurts. But that's who he is. And it's it, it, more than five times a game, man. I just think you're playing roulette. So I don't have a problem with that either.
0: Yeah, just I'm just saying two or three. I'm not saying run him into the ground like JT Barrett. But he just <laughs> – these are <T>. easy, <laughs> easy, easy runs. Like just get ar- get around the edge and just slide after 11 yards. That's all I'm asking. So now you're – for for the Penn State fans, you're going to be out in Los Angeles uh, for the championship. Weekend festivities. Uh, I'm sure you'll have a great time. Are, you, are you, you, You're going to be at the game. Are you going to be doing any report? Or are you just going to go out there and kind of soak up the sun?
1: You know, I do, I do think you can't discount Max Dugan here against Stetson Bennett. Stetson Bennett won the game at the end, and he showed up at the end. But I don't think he can afford a game like he had against Ohio State, which was mediocre up until then. He did not play very well. And he's known for sometimes having, having spells like that. If he plays another game like that, I think TCU is going to win the game because I don't ever see Max Dugan play in those kinds of games. Further, I didn't see a heck of a lot of – I guess it was hot down in the, in the, in the Georgia Dome. Is that what, I, what you understood? I would
0: imagine with that many fans indoors, it's probably, it was probably definitely a little soupy.
1: Well, I didn't see a lot of energy out of George's front. They were not getting pressure on C.J. Stroud to speak of. He was sitting back there. If you let Max Dugan do that, he's not as flashy as C.J. Stroud, but he is going to beat you. I have seen this kid over and over. Um, He was a legitimate Heisman candidate. As a college quarterback, I don't know what kind of attention he's going to get from the NFL probably not a lot but as a college quarterback if you give him time like Georgia gave Ohio State I think Georgia's got some some problems here I we we always give the SEC school C school a pass and I'm telling you I was reading a lot of my Georgia buddies down they they were picking Ohio State to win that game they don't think this Georgia team is of the level that we've seen from the SEC either Georgia or Alabama, or Clemson from the ACC before the last six, seven, eight years. They don't. And I think we saw that against Ohio State. It's easy to see the logo and the brand and think, oh, it's the SEC champion, and they're so physical. I didn't see that, man. I did not see a physically overwhelming team like we saw, like some of those Alabama defenses or Georgia's defense last year. I didn't see that. So I think this game's up for grabs. I really do. Are you prepared to pick a TCU upset at this point? Oh, that's silly to just do it because I I didn't even look at the – but did you see the line?
0: 13 and a half I think is what I saw.
1: I think that's absurd. I think it's absurd, and I certainly would gobble that up and take the the frogs. But, you know, I'm not ready to pick TCU to win this game. I was
0: trying to see. You were getting a little worked up there, baby.
1: It does remind me of certain moments. We're both old enough to remember when one team was totally discounted, uh, and you, you wonder, well, is that is that really is that really legit in this circumstance? Uh, the, I guess the most famous is NC State against Houston in the eighty-three national basketball championship, where you had a really savvy bunch of older players who believe they're going to win mixed in with some athletes who were not afraid of Houston. And you had the better coach on the one side. I'm not nuts about Kirby smart as like a game day coach either. I I think maybe this is tilts toward TCU's direction with Sonny Dykes too. I do. Uh, I think this is a discounted, a discounted program that is not being given a shot. And I think that's in their favor. So, I'm just saying I think it's going to be a game where other people clearly don't think it's going to be in a game and I don't I don't see what they're seeing. I got gotcha.
0: you. I got gotcha. you. All right, let's let's wrap it up then here on the blue white breakdown. We got we got to a lot, I think. Penn State, both semis. We talked about the championship game. Uh I just think that in closing I le- legitimately sincerely believe that Penn State in 2023 is going to be really a fascinating team to watch and they, they, have, they are very close to being, I think, a team because of their depth that they are they are built for the long haul. And I, I don't see a scenario in which James will not continue to recruit well. So I think this season, in a lot of ways, the way that they rebounded from the Michigan game early, I think it's it, – for me, it has kind of changed my narrative about, you know, well, they're just – they just can't close the gap on Michigan. And Ohio State. I think they have.
1: I'll finish with this. They don't have to close the gap after next year to get in the tournament. And, and this, this has the look in the future, if, if it stays the way it is, of a dangerous team in the tournament. Uh, I did a story uh, last week about where Penn State would have played and who they would have played had they been in a 12-team tournament all the way back through James Franklin's tenure, which coincidentally is exactly concurrent with uh, the college football playoff back to 2014, they would have played Tennessee this year. Would you have given them a shot even, even with Hendon Hooker? But it would have been Joe Milton, the Michigan washout, who played very well. I don't know if you saw that game.
0: I did see, but I, I saw a lot of it. It surprised me. It surprised me. I thought Clemson was the better team, but they clearly were not.
1: Yeah. And so, so would Penn State have hung in that game against Tennessee? Absolutely they would have. And that would have been, I think, an 11-6 uh, game. How about Penn State and
0: LSU LSU at the end of the year? That would have been a great game, too. LSU was pretty good at the end of the year.
1: Well, the point is they, you, you get in the tournament, you win a game, and then you're, you're, you're tournament-ready. Your, I don't know what the dates are going to be, but they'll probably give them a nine, 10-day window, you know, a game, then a 10-day rest, another game, a nine-day rest, is, I think is what it's going to be. And if you get enough time to rest up and you're playing a team that's that's rusty, which it will be, is one of the top four, they would have gone up against, uh, let's see, the three seed, which would have been uh, TCU, Right. Yeah, that'll be another great game. Yes. (laughs) see, they could win that game, and all of a sudden, then they're in the final. Yeah, you know, I, I I think in the future the 12-team playoff is going to do a lot for Penn State's program. That's the that's the uh, the takeaway.
0: All right, Dave. I want you to fly safe, travel safe with your family, and uh, when you come back, we'll talk about uh, what you thought about your Los Angeles experience, and uh, we'll just take it from there. Stay out of trouble on the West Coast. Come on. <laughs> this has been the Blue White Breakdown brought to you by Pen Live.